in the end, you know, Rogers is just too good. Um, he made some some throws that only Rogers can make. Um, you know, we had we had pretty good coverage on on some of those, and he just you know he's just too smart, too good, too accurate. Bill Belichick looking at a guy who's never worn a suit and tie before in his life. Yeah. Uh, doesn't he? I'm, I'm not used to seeing that, was that look. <laughs> I mean, is it like, I mean, is this a reflection of his reverence for Lambeau Field? Because he had exactly a, what I was a press say. conference recently where he goes on and on about the Packers and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's usually like only the most special occasions that you see Bill Belichick in suit and tie. I, I need to, I need to, I'm curious why he went with that after we have seen him wear some of the rattiest stuff imaginable, but Hey, kudos, but it does. I mean, doesn't it look like number one, he never wears a suit and tie and number two, he has no interest in doing so. Yes. And you know, look at his hair. He combed his hair. He put on the tie. What a nice little knot that he's got there. It's a very nice, well-fitting suit on Bill Belichick. I am astonished. And it must be the reverence that he just has for Lambeau Field and being there and knowing, hey, this is probably the last time I'm going to coach here because, you know, you only go there once every seven, eight years, whatever it is in the cycle. So, yeah, that's really uh, surprising to me. I, I am astonished right now that Bill Belichick was wearing a suit for a press conference. He usually wears the rattiest things possible. He's got stuff probably from 2006 that he still wears on the practice field and sometimes in games and then also to press conferences. That is crazy. And if we talk about it long enough, it's almost like, uh, what was that movie, Beetlejuice? If you say it enough times, there's something that appears. There's a photograph that will appear if we talk about it long enough. But it had, there, there it is! <laughs> oh, there it is! Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Good Lord. What in the world? Moth-ridden sweatshirt with a neck that's been stretched by George Costanza. Good Lord. All right. Um. Oh, boy. That's the height of COVID. Packers and the Patriots uh, go down to the wire in overtime. Extra football. So Bill Belichick's final foray at Lambeau Field lasted even longer than he expected. And it's just a shame they didn't pull off the win. I knew they were going to play him tough. That point spread was too big. I knew the Patriots were going to cover that spread, and they did. But, damn, they almost won the game. They knew how to defend Aaron Rodgers. They had a pick six at Lambeau Field of Aaron Rodgers. Brian Hoyer gets injured. Bailey Zappi comes in. He looks exactly like Mac Jones. I don't get it. I think they have a factory up there that I don't know about. They really are the Stepford Patriots. But um, but it it was all lining up for classic Patriots steal one that they had no business winning. And at the end of the day, they just they just could not. And as as Belichick said after the game, uh, even with everything Bailey Zappi did to come in and keep it close. Aaron Rodgers is just too good. Yeah, well, it's funny. What was it last week that you texted? What's the uh, proper pronunciation of Zappy? And then I said something that I'm definitely not going to repeat on the air, but it wasn't that yesterday. And so, you know what? I, I give a lot of credit to, to young Bailey Zappy. He was ready for the moment, and that's really, really tough to do when you go into a place like Lambeau Field. And when you go to that place, man, the reverence, the history, everything sort of kind of descends upon you a little bit. At least it does for me as a reporter. And when you get into a game like that and you are competitive and you're able to bring the Patriots to being on the brink of a win, and really, you really could have stolen that one, but Aaron Rodgers makes the plays that he has to make. And then that sets up Crosby for game-winning field goal in overtime, and the Packers end up surviving that. They, they were very close to not surviving that, but they were able to do it, and I think it's a credit to Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers for the way that they kept that team in it. Well, it was a seven... So, so, let, me, let me have that up here, and now it's gone. Good boy. I forget what it was. 77 oh, no. yards on a 12-play drive that lasted seven minutes. I knew the number seven was integral to that stat. So 12-play drive, 77 yards that lasted nearly seven minutes before the Crosby kick that wins the game. And and look, they I'm, I'm looking at or I'm trying to find here because uh, I want to get this right because 
you know, we were on the air for Football Night in America, so uh, it was hard to truly enjoy what was happening in that game, and I haven't had a chance to rewatch it. But the Packers go three and out, mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, there's an opportunity um, after a 49 yard kick with a 29 with a 20 yard return, a 43 yard kick with a 20 yard return. The Patriots have the ball one yard short of, short of midfield, and all they need is a field goal to win the game. And they go three and out. And, and, you know, Bailey Zappi wants to step up in the moment and really make a memory that will last for all of his life, no matter what else he does in football. That was the opportunity. It had fallen into his lap. And, you know, you either deliver or you don't. And, he, he just, yeah. and, and unfortunately, he didn't. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. There's Mac Jones. I mean, Bailey Zappi. And uh, for a guy that, that, you know, was not expected to play, comes in. Tough circumstances, Lambeau Field, acquits himself well, but you get that golden opportunity at the 49-yard line in overtime where a field goal wins it, and you go three and out, and it's just unfortunate. And then when they punt the ball to the Packers, that's when the Packers just take it right down the field uh, and uh, and have the walk-off winner with four seconds left in overtime. Yeah, but the, the Packers, in theory, should have been able to win that game in regulation. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to this, I guess, now because I'm transitioning to it. But the way that that sequence happened at the end of uh, the regulation where Matt LaFleur makes an emotional decision to challenge a catch that was pretty clearly not a catch. That's something that I expect better out of Matt LaFleur. Because he's been doing this as a head coach for years now, and he has been in part because of Aaron Rodgers. Yes, I understand that, but he has been one of the best head coaches in the league and one of the best starts to a career in league history in terms of wins and losses. And so when you get into that situation, you cannot make an emotional decision to challenge a play that should not be challenged. Well, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. And Matt LaFleur has proven that he's cool-headed and uh, rational. uh, And he's been operating in this storm of dysfunction between Aaron Rodgers on one hand and the front office on the other hand. And, yeah, you don't don't expect that from a guy like Matt LaFleur. Um, But uh, this is the the play. Yeah. No, it's clearly not a catch. It's not a catch. But, you know, I think what happens is – when you have a team that you expect to kick the crap out of and it's not going your way, that's when that emotional red flag comes out where you're just like, damn it, you know, why aren't we winning this game by 21 points? We're right. supposed to be a lot better than them. They're down to their third string quarterback. Right. We have Aaron Rodgers. This should be going our way. So you're right. There's no way that that, that challenge flag should have been thrown another rookie and he quarterback got told got th- not to challenge he got told sorry mike he got told not to challenge right. it by his eye in the sky so that makes it even worse when you're being told by the coach that you hired and you were supposed to trust and eh, i don't think we should challenge that and then you do it anyway come on man you're better than that matt you're better than that i know you're better than that sometimes why, why are you don't do that why, why i that's why you can do it i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i me don't I, do I was, that I oh was, my gosh It was an an inside joke to something I told you last night about some feedback that I got from one specific person because I used that phrase last week. You're better than that. Like, why do you say that? So uh, Uh, I told you about that. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's an inside joke just for me and Miles. All right. um, So, Miles, you're better than that. So, anyway, (laughs) uh, it's funny, too. You mentioned that, that the person he's hired to tell him whether or not to challenge the play was telling him not to do it. Sean Payton has told the story of how, you know, when he's in that situation and it's clearly something he should or shouldn't challenge, he hears 20 voices telling him what to do. When it's yeah. close, he hears nothing. <laughs> <He's gets> no <laughs> guidance whatsoever. It's crickets coming down the, the headset. Um, all right. It, it was far from crickets in Pittsburgh yesterday as the fan base was clamoring for rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett. They got what they oh, wanted. Wow. And and it looked like it looked like it was going to win. Kenny Pickett became the first quarterback in the entire 103 season history of the National Football League to score two rushing touchdowns in his debut. Another very obscure and specific stat, courtesy of the NFL, that they circulate on Sunday night after the game's end. But they're up 10 points. They were down. They get the 
turnover deep in the in the Jets end of the field. They score the touchdown. They they go up. Then they're up by ten points. And it's like, here we go. You know, we don't know what's going to happen against the Bills, Bucks, Dolphins, and Eagles, but at least we're up 10 points in the fourth quarter against the Jets. This is a win. Kenny Pickett debut, storybook finish. He's our quarterback. And then it all falls apart for the Steelers. Thanks to the Jets. The Jets have shown a level of grit and toughness and resilience. They've been this, they've been in this this four-game tour of the AFC North where they pulled a rabbit out of the hat twice in Cleveland and now in Pittsburgh. Down 10 points in the fourth yeah. quarter in Pittsburgh on a day like that yesterday to find a way to turn it around and make it go in their direction. Unbelievable. I still don't know how they did it, Miles. I don't really either. Whenever you see Pittsburgh up 10 in the fourth quarter at home and you got the crowd and I'm sure they played renegade and I'm sure they're waving those towels and Kenny Pickett scoring two touchdowns and every in the Yinzers, I'm sure were elated. You just do not expect to see the Steelers blow a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter. You, you, you don't. And so when they do, I think it says a lot about the Jets. Maybe we need to give Robert Sal a little bit more credit. He said he would keep all the receipts. Man, you know what? I am tipping my cap off to him because to go two and two in the early going of the season and really pull that rabbit out of their rear ends in two games, away games at that, I man, I think that that says a lot about those that team. You mentioned the playing of Renegade. They did an analytical study as to the Steelers' win and loss percentage when they do really? the Renegade oh, thing. They don't do it every game, and they actually do win far more than they lose when they play Renegade in the fourth quarter. The problem is they were up 10 early in the fourth quarter. I don't know that there was a good Renegade oh, moment. true. Because yeah. the win was in the bag. The win was in the bag. Maybe they need to be ready to press that button as it's all falling apart, which it rarely does for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here's Zach Wilson in his first action after suffering a knee injury in the preseason opener. He's back. He's healthy. He's effective. He gets the win. Here he is talking about the Jets' victory. The ugly win, but, uh, you know, some of the most fun I've had playing football, you know, the emotions, the ups and downs, the trying to overcome adversity. Um, you know, I just thought such such cool fight by the guys. You know, the defense getting takeovers. Um, taking the ball over for us, you know, to come back on offense, giving us, you know, some extra opportunities. Uh, the O-line fighting all the way to the end, you know, guys in different positions um, needing to come up big for us, and they did, a, they did an amazing job making me feel comfortable back there. And, um, you know, I'd say it's awesome to learn from a win, but um, I think there was so much growth in just those last two minutes as an offense for us, uh, you know, to be able to, to put a drive like that together as clean as it was and, and punch it in, you know, it was awesome. What, what, uh, what- I always love it when guy shows up for press conference after the game still in his pads because that tells me he doesn't want to take them off. He doesn't want the moment to end. And when the yeah. uniform is dirty on top of it, that makes it even better because that football being played on grass and, hey, that, that field held up better than I thought it would after all the rain that they got in Pittsburgh and they played Georgia Tech-Pittsburgh the night before. Uh, field looked good, but uh, that's, that's October, that's grass, and that's Zach Wilson Given the Jets' reason to be very hopeful about what they have going forward, their schedule, we've talked about this many times. Like, I don't know who they pissed off at the league office like two, three years in a row now. Their schedule is crippling right out of the gates. They had all four teams at the AFC North to start the season. They managed to win two of those games, both on the road. It gets no easier, but I'm not ready to write this team off. They got something. They, they're not the team that's going to walk off the bus and kick your ass. But if you let them hang around, you do so at your own peril because they'll make you pay for it. And I look at the next five, and I don't feel as concerned for the Jets as I did before the season began. I think they could give the Dolphins a little run for their money, especially if Miami doesn't have Tua Tonga-Vailoa. They could give the Broncos a run for their money. I think they can beat the Patriots. I don't know what happens with the Bills, but then they have their bye. And look, they got some they got some wins back half of the season. They, they, they can hang around. They can make it interesting. They, they can still lay the foundation this year to be a contender next year. And they have a chance of being a fringe contender this year, Miles. Well, here's the thing. You're, and whenever you're going against a team in the division that you know pretty well, and granted, there have been some changes with the Dolphins, especially offensively, but that's a chance 
for you to be able to kind of steal one. You, you see that all the time, that division games can get a little bit wonky. So I don't necessarily count the Jets out of anything. Zach Wilson made some real, real quality throws late in that game. I mean, especially to Corey Davis. And so their chemistry seems like it's starting to get that much better. And you know what? I, I don't necessarily know where things are going to end up with the Jets, but I feel better about them certainly after the first quarter of the season than I would have if uh, when I was thinking about what they might look like before the season started. The Pittsburgh Steelers finally look like what we thought they were going to be before the season, a Mm. a team quarterback by Kenny Pickett, and also many Mm. thought they were going to be not good. I was wrong. I thought they'd be better. They're now Mm. one and three. They're staring at one and seven with this pack of games they have coming up against the Bills, the Bucks, the Dolphins, and the Eagles going into a bye at one and seven. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record. This may be the year that it happens. He's allowed to have one after 15 years on the job, um, but they have to make a decision now about quarterback as they head to Buffalo where they stole one last year. So the Bills are going to be on guard for the Steelers this year. Will it be Mitch Trubisky? Will it be Kenny Pickett? Let's hear from Mike Tomlin on his decision to put Kenny Pickett in the game on Sunday against the Jets. I just thought we needed a spark, man. We didn't do much um, in the first half, uh, not enough offensively, and, you know, thought he could provide a spark for us. thought he did some good things. I thought, you know, there was some energy there. Um, we scored some touchdowns, but obviously um, we also turned the ball over. So uh, no decision on next week. Mitch Trubisky, he clearly was not happy based upon the clip I've seen. Now, you know, it's not like he it was fire no. and brimstone stuff, but you could just tell he's not happy. You know, he and and, and Pickett had no practice reps. It it is odd that it just kind of happens like that, especially when Mike Tomlin said after the loss in Cleveland, I'm not thinking about a quarterback change. Well, clearly he was. I don't think it's just something that yeah. popped into his head at halftime yesterday. Um, You know, Trubisky saved himself against the Browns on that Thursday night because he was throwing the ball down the field. He was taking the chances. But, you know, they they have one of the last games that they can clearly win before the bye. They've got this four-game stretch coming up. They had to do everything they could to beat the Jets. And the fact that they had it in the bag and they lost it, it's a lot of soul-searching the Steelers are going to have to do. And they don't have much time to turn it around because they go to Buffalo in six days against a team, like I said, they beat them last year. They caught him napping. They're, not, they're going to be wide awake this year when the Steelers come to town. No doubt. And they, the Steelers also are not going to have J.J. Watt. And so whenever they don't have J.J. Watt, and we've got this on our little sheet, they are 0 They also won't have T.J. Now. Watt. They won't have T.J. Did Watt I say either. J.J.? Oh, my yeah. goodness gracious. You know what's really funny, Mike? And I'll just do this. Last, night, last week I was talking to my mom, and she just kept calling T.J. Watt J.J. Watt. And so I was just getting on her and I get an honor and saying, man, you just have this guy who's really not on that team anyway. He's in Arizona. So, of course, the Steelers don't have J.J. Watt. My God. And here I do the same thing on television. So great job out of me. Anyway, they don't have T.J. Watt. They're 0-7 without T.J. Watt. And when you don't have T.J. Watt, it does make a huge difference to that defense. I think we saw that yesterday, right? If they have T.J. Watt, I don't know that they're going to blow a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against the New York Jets. So we'll see what happens with the quarterback. I mean, I think it's pretty hard to uh, put the proverbial toothpaste back in the toothpaste holder, as our friend Shereen Williams might say. So I expect that they're going to go with Pickett now. You can't really go back, especially after the spark that he did provide for that offense. You you can't go back. That's why they waited. Once the rookie's on the field, he's the quarterback. And if they try to to do this Terry Bradshaw, Terry Hanratty, Joe Gillum thing that they went through in the early 70s, it won't work. Although, Although, I will say this. When they finally resolved the the Bradshaw, Hanratty, Gillum trifecta, they, they did win four Super Bowls in six years. So I don't know. Maybe they're trying to get history to repeat itself with a little quarterback rotation and then settle on Kenny Pickett and then start winning Super Bowls again. Let's take a break. We're going to hand out some superlatives for week four when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this.
PFG Live presented by Google Pixel. That was the final moment of the the early game yesterday from London. I hope the folks who went to that game at Tottenham Hotspur really appreciate what an exciting finish they got. And I assume they do because we know the NFL fans in the UK are extremely zealous and knowledgeable of the game because they watch PFT live. But uh, that was something that's Paul Allen on the call. The saints go marching out. I'm sure he'd been holding that one for a while. And he's probably said it before when the Vikings have found a way to beat the saints, but I'm going to begin the superlatives with what I'm going to call the drew Brees and Isaac Newton need an explanation award. Now the first part is a reference to the bounty scandal because drew Brees said at one point, I need an explanation. And so that kind of became a running thing at PFT. Drew Brees needs an explanation. Isaac Newton also needs an explanation because we need to show that again. I still don't know how this ball did not go through. It defied every law of physics. The apple falls from the tree and it doesn't land on the ground the way that it should. We need the second shot, the close-up. It hits the inside of the upright and it looks like it's falling to earth. It, it, you can just tell by the way it strikes the bar, it's going through. Watch this. It hits that bar, and it's coming through. But no, it goes down. It hits the crossbar and bounces the wrong way. Unbelievable optical illusion. Never seen anything like it. Remember last year, it was the Justin Tucker kick against the Lions, I think also in week four, where it hit the bar and it looked like it bounced backward onto the field, but it actually bounced through and hit the net. Like this, I cannot, I still, as many times as I see that, and look, they don't understand it. What happened? That kick should have been good. That kick, look, he thought he made it. Oh, no. That, that, isn't there a Richard Sherman gift to that effect somewhere? The kick yes. was good. Unbelievable. I still can't process it with my brain. Maybe that says more about my brain. But uh, And what is the difference between two and two? Both teams would have been. But the Saints are one and three. And the Vikings are three and one. All because of that one moment. Yeah, that is a huge moment. And it's just one of those things that you look at and you're like, wait a minute. How did that happen? I remember a while ago. I think this might have been 2007. Phil Dawson hit a field goal off of the back end of the crossbar and it looked like it was no good because it bounced out. But of course that is good. And so now in Cleveland, we lovingly refer to that as the Dawson bar. So it's just one of those things, man, you can't really explain football all the time. You can't explain the physics of it. Miles, uh, explain to us your first superlative of week four. I certainly will, Mike. I will go to Las Vegas and let's call it McDaniel's Revenge because, of course, Josh McDaniels used to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos, but now he got his first win as the Raiders head coach against uh, the Denver Broncos. And this was a big day for Josh Jacobs going out there and rushing for 144 yards. He had a career high and they were able to actually control the game really through the run game, I guess that uh, Josh Jacobs is now out of the doghouse because it seemed like he was before the season when he's playing almost meaningful snaps in the Hall of Fame game. But I think for the Raiders to get that victory, to get off the snide now, you have the Texans as the only winless team in the NFL. The Raiders aren't completely out of it. They still have a lot of problems, but I think it also shows something about the Denver Broncos too, where they got a lot of things that they got to fix. Well, and... And this was just one of those where the Raiders had to have this win at 0-3. Mm-hmm. They had to find a way. And you throw in the McDaniels getting revenge against the Broncos. It just lined up to me. This is one of the few that I felt good about going into the game, that the Raiders would prevail with the win. And the Broncos do have plenty of work to do. They may be the worst 2-2 two and two team ever from the standpoint of the vibe coming off of them. Right? They're 2-2. Two and two. It's like, are, are they... I have to check. Are they two and two? Yeah, they are two and two. Boy, it feels like they're one and three or oh and four. So they still have some work to do. But the good news is for all the stuff they've been through, they're still two and two. Next one for me is the Hacksaw Reynolds Award. And that is a reference to a moment that happened in Super Bowl 16. And yes, it did happen, even though it was more than a decade before Miles was born. Um, There was a goal line stand and Hacksaw Reynolds had to pee. And he knew he wasn't going to have much time because 
the 49ers are going to have to punt the ball back to Cincinnati after the goal line stand. So they surrounded him on the sideline and he relieved himself on the sideline. This is next level, though. This is taking care of business during a game. DK Metcalf, a cart ride. I saw DK Metcalf on a cart. I thought DK Metcalf was injured. All it turns out is DK Metcalf had to poop. So they took him to the locker room via cart. As he tweeted after the game, it was too far to walk to clench. So uh, they they rode him to the cart, uh, on the cart, to the locker room so he could take care of business. Now that is service, and uh, uh, that is taking care of business in more ways than one. Well, yeah, they shouldn't have done it. Isn't he at an away field? They shouldn't have done it. He's not injured. Clinch it. Too bad. You know? I don't know. If I'm Dan Campbell, I don't know how happy I am about that, but it's also probably not exactly Dan Campbell's responsibility. Um, Let me go to this next one from uh, the Carolina Panthers. Call it bat them down. Baker Mayfield, man, the, the experiment is not really working there with the Panthers, and he had five, five batted passes yesterday in that loss to the Arizona Cardinals. And when something like that happens, it's also two interceptions. Baker Mayfield is now playing so poorly that Matt Rule is getting questions about potentially turning to Sam Darnold when the quarterback is back from his injury. He's been on IR now for four weeks, so he's eligible to come off this week. That tells you everything you need to know about how poorly things are going for Baker Mayfield down there with the Panthers. And I don't think that spells anything good for Matt Rule either now that the Panthers are one and three. We talk about guys making a bet on themselves, and we love it because it's not our money. Baker Mayfield made a huge bet on himself. He shaved his salary by more than $4 million in all this year to get to Carolina, and it is not going well. His numbers were horrible before yesterday. I haven't looked at the full breakdown, but I have the feeling they got worse, not better, yeah. based upon He's, the first four games of the season. And the whole bet is down the – we got the we got the uh, yeah. uh, the text chain all day, and the observations were being made about all the passes that were being batted down, and the, the viewers were noticing it as well. Because when I tweeted last night, my observation that one of the realities of having a dog is you have to reluctantly surrender your pizza crust to the dog. One of our followers said Baker Mayfield tosses his pizza crust to his dog; they get batted down by the cat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a That's thing good. now. And uh, just a matter of time, maybe, before we see Sam Darnold. Hey, uh, I, I, look, we got to take a break, but I, Baker Mayfield is not the kind of guy that's going to accept this regression and whatever it means to his career. Does he become a Mitch Trubisky next year where he signs with a team that then drafts a guy in round one and he's the placeholder? Like, who's going to want Baker Mayfield to be their starting quarterback next year? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Buccaneers of Tom Brady retires and stays retired because mm. uh, Bruce Arians has kind of had an affinity for him. maybe the Raiders, if they'd move on from Derek Carr, I don't know why they would maybe the Patriots, they kind of like it, but I, it, it feels like the sun could be setting on his time as a starter. This is his chance and he's just not stepping up to get it done. All right. We need to take a break. Uh, when we return, we will take a closer look at the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles have managed to continue to be the only unbeaten team in the National Football League. We'll do that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Today, this team didn't flinch. Um, we found a way. We didn't flinch. We persevered. Um, we were unwavering in how we played. Um, nothing, nothing, nothing was able to deny us. Um, and I, I'm so proud of how this team played. Um, how we handled the conditions outside. We got crosswinds going 20 to 30 miles per hour. Um, it's, it's in the 50s and it's just raining sideways. Um, and we're able to be be pretty efficient in everything that we did. Um, that, that's, that's a great team win. Hey, Bill Belichick, that's how you wear a suit. That's how you wear a suit. What a difference. Right. Yeah, who wore it better, Jalen Hurts or Bill Belichick? Man, my it's, God, it's not even close. Suit. I know. <laughs> wow. That yeah, that is. It's just you, you either you either got it or you don't. And uh, Jalen Hurts clearly has it. And and he's got everything that you're looking for 
in a franchise quarterback, and I think it's okay to start referring to him that way. He has developed into yeah. it before our eyes. Year one, it was, can he do enough to stay on the field? Year two, it was, can he do enough to earn a third year? Now it is with this team that constantly is looking, the wandering eye, where can we find another quarterback? Could it be Deshaun Watson? Could it be Kyler Murray? Could it be Russell Wilson? Always looking, always looking. Maybe it's the guy you have because he's become that guy. And you know what? This is what you want to see. You want to see a guy who maybe thinks the team has doubts about him. Erase those doubts. Hey, I'll give you no reason to doubt me. I'll go out and I'll improve. You want a better quarterback? I'll be your better quarterback. That's what you want to say. Oh, we're putting too much pressure on the guy. No, the pressure is what's going to make him the best that he can be. And that's what we're seeing from Jalen Hurts. They're down 14 nothing. They didn't give up. They didn't just say, well, you know, hey, well, we're not going to win them all. We're 3-1. and one. That's good. That's better than we thought we'd be. Let's just call it a day. Let's just get out of here before somebody gets injured. Let's go regroup. You know, all the human emotions have become very natural when you feel like you're getting your your butts kicked, and they, they find a way to bend it in their direction. They don't give up. They don't give in, and they ultimately win. Even though the final score was 29-21, it felt bigger than that. It was more convincing than that. That, to me, is a mark of a great team because they had it easy the first three weeks. wasn't easy yesterday. They still found a way to win it fairly easily. Yeah, they looked like a kind of juggernaut yesterday in some ways. And I think they somehow have Trevor Lawrence to also thank for that. Whenever you're turning the ball over five times, as Trevor Lawrence did, it's going to be a really hard day to win, especially against a good team um, like the Philadelphia Eagles. But Jalen Hurts referenced it in that clip. The, the conditions were awful. It was not a good day to try and throw the ball. And yet... Hertz was still able to make some good quality throws. And I think that speaks a lot to the way he's developed as a passer. It certainly helps when you have a guy like AJ Brown and Devontae Smith to target with those passes. And Miles Sanders also had a great day of running the football, but when it, it starts with the quarterback, right? It starts with Jalen Hurts really lowering his shoulder and getting his nose in there to get in the end zone as he did on that first touchdown. And then things kind of snowball from there. And look, I think the Eagles are doing a great, great job right now. And this is the play I was just talking about. Look at the way he lowers his shoulder. It's fourth down. It is fourth and goal. That is a gotta have it play. So if you don't get it, yeah, you're giving the Jaguars a chance to go when they're starting all the way backed up. But at the same time, when you need a touchdown, when you need to make a play like that and your quarterback comes through, that's a pretty big play. And so I, I give Jalen Hurts a lot of credit for what he did in the offseason to improve and how that is translating now on the field. But, you know, I have to say this because I would say it about any other quarterback. You got to be more careful with your body. You've you really do. Dropping you do, your helmet right. and going in like that. My God. And, and let me tell you this. Because one of the realities of the league's rule that was kind of pulled out of thin air four years ago, the rule against lowering the helmet to initiate contact with an opponent, and they've tweaked the language a little bit this year because one of the things they've learned is they they find guys far more than they penalize guys for this rule. That's one thing I right. learned back in August. And they changed the language a little bit to make it easier to make the fines stick. But I look at that play – I won't be surprised if Jalen Hurts gets a letter this week requiring him to make an involuntary donation to the NFL's equivalent of the human fund. Can we show that again? Lowering the helmet and initiating forceful contact. And they took out the word initiate. So it's just lowering the helmet and making forceful contact with an okay. opponent. That's what he does there. That's what he does. It is. And it doesn't get and it up oh, it doesn't get but my point is even though it doesn't get flagged the way that the rule would contemplate they get fined. And we don't hear about that. But I think I think he could very well get fined for that play based upon the rule that they've created that they expect the players to follow. And, and again, even if you don't get fined for it, you're the quarterback. You've got to be more yeah. careful with your body because you're back. Well, look, it's not like they have a horrible backup. They got Gardner Minshew. Um, yeah, but but uh, I mean, break, out, break out the video that smells like cigarettes. But, <laughs> but, but you've, you've, one of your obligations is you've got to keep yourself on the field. And his former teammate, yeah. Tua Tonga Law, at a time when we're seeing what happens when you don't protect yourself, 
All the more reason for Jalen Hurts to protect himself. It is. It, you're not wrong, but it's also fourth down and you're down 14. You're trying to make a play. There are things that coaches talk about in football where it's either one of those things that happens over the course of the game or then there's, as Mike Vrabel likes to say, dumb stuff and he doesn't say stuff that doesn't help the team. I think that's one of those plays that happens in football. That's a football play, even as Jalen Hurts may get fine for that if you're making a play within the confines of the game and something happens that may be a little bit illegal you can kind of live with that and that's something that if he gets fined I'm sure he can live with because it helped the Eagles win well absolutely and look that's ultimately what you're trying to do you're trying to win football games and you do take calculated risks or just reckless risks at times yeah and as long as you are able to keep playing it doesn't become an issue but when you do drop your shoulder at the sideline and tear your acl like jimmy garoppolo and i guess that's one of those instances where it's completely unnecessary that if there is going to be a dividing line here Mm -hmm. don't do it when it's unnecessary there are certain occasions where it is necessary you're down 14 at home this is a way to turn the momentum in your favor and for all we know that moment the other players saw that And that gave them the kick in the ass they needed to turn it not just into a close game, but pretty much a route. Hassan Reddick got it done. I mean, he's a guy that you can just count on to make big plays, not all the time, but just like he's always kind of around. And he'll have these big games out of nowhere. He had a couple of strip sacks, and uh, he forced a fumble to seal the victory when the the Eagles were up eight points. As I said earlier, they were all one-score games in the fourth quarter except Chiefs-Bucks. But uh, hey, I, I, the Eagles, the Eagles are amazing um, to be four and oh, the only unbeaten team left after four weeks. Peter King made the point on Friday that there were five unbeaten teams going into week four last year, seven the year before. Now there was one going into the fourth Sunday and coming out of the fourth Sunday. There's only one left. That really is Amazing that it's the number one, there's only one team, and number two, that it's the Eagles. Yeah, parody. It's what the, the NFL's always wanted, right? Everybody's got a chance every single week, and there's so much intrigue going into December and January. Trevor Lawrence, when you have four fumbles and you lose every single one, what were you doing in the week before that really pissed somebody off upstairs? Oh, I said that word again. But like you took somebody off upstairs, man. You're not living right. Something happened I, because you don't usually see team uh, a quarterback lose four fumbles. Look at Matt Ryan. He's playing horribly, and he doesn't even lose all those fumbles. He's got nine fumbles and has only lost, I think, three or four of them. What are you doing, man? Live right. Something. And, and you know, you wonder how much time they spent practicing with wet footballs uh, during the week. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's part of it, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, and it's funny because that hurricane obviously passed through Florida and then went up the coast. And then that's kind of what we were seeing in those East Coast games and those really, really terrible conditions. But yeah, I mean, my goodness, look at what he's doing there. Hold on to the ball. Two hands, that's old, Trev. That's the old Brucey, I just ate popcorn maneuver. But I uh, have and you know, no idea what you're referencing there. <laughs> you've never, you've never seen the longest yard, the second one. No. You were alive when it came out. It wasn't a movie from the 90s or the 80s, and you still okay. haven't seen The Longest Yard, a football movie? No. Sorry. No. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, and you know what? They were still in it. There's a silver lining in this for right. Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Even with a bad performance from Trevor Lawrence, they were still in it. And, oh, by the way, credit to the Eagles fans. They did not boo Doug Peterson. He got a standing ovation. My faith in humanity has been restored. The fans that threw snowballs at Santa once upon a time (laughs) recognized that Doug Peterson delivered for them the only Super Bowl championship they have ever won, and they appreciate it. And they also recognized he didn't try to leave. He didn't shoot the double-barreled middle fingers on his way out the door. He got fired. He got fired. He wanted to stay. And uh, he came back, and he almost beat the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, Giants and the Bears got together at MetLife Stadium in a game that uh, did indeed happen, even though most people didn't notice it. The Bears lose to the Giants 20-12. to An interesting issue for the Giants now. Daniel Jones, who had two rushing touchdowns, ankle injury. Tyrod Taylor in the concussion protocol. They're down to Davis Webb on the practice squad. He wasn't active. Saquon Barkley 
was taking wildcat snaps at quarterback with Jones being a decoy at receiver. And then Jones is back in at quarterback, but he couldn't move. So Taylor may be out for Sunday in London. Jones, I'm told they won't know his availability until late in the week. Anybody they sign this week needs to have a passport. Literally needs to have a passport because they're going to London. This is one of the the complications. And this is one of the reasons why when people say, hey, they need to put a team in London. The the teams in London will need players. Mm -hmm. You fly seven guys over to London for a tryout. What do you do? You haven't come to you. Do you have an outpost in Virginia that they come to and you do your tryout there and then decide which guy you want? And he gets on a plane to London. There are logistical challenges that will be very prevalent if you have a team in London, and there are logistical challenges when a team plays in London. You've, you've got the Giants possibly needing a quarterback, and then you need, number one, to find somebody with a passport. Number two, get him to London. And Lewis Sign, the Vikings rookie safety first-round pick, broke his ankle, serious ankle fracture. Yeah. He's getting surgery in London. Team officials are staying there with him. He can't come back from London. That's, that's the, the very real human downside to this obsession with playing games in other countries. And uh, I, I'm, I'm in favor of the games being played in London, but there are practical considerations. And for the Giants, Miles, they have one this week. Yeah, they, they really do. And what makes it more difficult, and I don't know exactly when they're traveling across the pond, but that is tough when you are trying to figure out, A, what are the log- logistics of getting us over to London and having this plan and making sure that our players' bodies are in the best condition that they can be? And teams have different philosophies on this. There's no one way to do it, right? You saw the Vikings this past week. They left Thursday night. And then they were there on Friday. So they flew overnight Thursday into Friday. The Saints were there. They left right after that loss that they had to the Carolina Panthers. And so they were over there for the entire week. What's better? I don't know. It it, it depends, I should say, on whatever your internal philosophy is. So we'll see. But that is another added layer of this. When are the Giants going over there? When are they going to be able to see the quarterbacks that they might need to sign? And when are they going to be able to determine the availability of their starter? This is not a good scenario if you are the New York football giants. Let's take a break. When we return, a closer look at the recent developments in the ongoing saga involving the Miami Dolphins, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and the concussion protocol. We'll discuss that when this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. What would you go back and tell yourself in 2005 when you're first starting out and dealing with head injuries? Number one, I would say it's not worth it. If, and I was that guy, coach. I would get hit. My head, the entire stadium is spinning around, and I would go back into the game. It's not worth it, Maria. And I would implore these young men, don't go back on that football field if you get hurt because I don't want them to have to feel like me and so many other former players that had to deal with concussions, whether it's depression, anxiety, paranoia, broken relationships, not being able to communicate with your spouse and things like that. It's a lot. CTE takes you to a dark place, and I want these players to know it's not worth it. Please take care of yourself. Don't depend on the NFL. Don't depend on anybody. If something's wrong with your head, report it. Rodney Harrison with some words of wisdom last night on Football Night in America. Look, he played his entire career before the NFL had its concussion epiphany in October of 2009. Forced to go to a congressional hearing. The commissioner, D. Smith, the head of the union, who just kind of arrived on the scene, having to answer some tough questions about the NFL's rules as it relates to concussion and return to play, forced some real changes to be made in the decades since then, plus there's been some refinements, Miles. There's been some efforts to make the game safer and safer. And that's kind of where we are. And the Tua Tonga-Vailoa experience from last Sunday and then Thursday night has brought this back to the forefront. Is the concussion protocol where it needs to be, what changes need to be made, and what obligation do players have? Where is that line? Because they want to play football. They want to go do things. And this occurred to me last night. You know, we all go to the doctor. We all have the doctor tell us things we shouldn't do. Sometimes we listen. Sometimes we don't. That's kind of what they're telling football players. The difference is there's an apparatus for enforcing the doctor's advice when it comes to a football player. 
the team in the league can be told to tell the player he's not playing. They can't tell me to quit, you know, drinking as much as maybe I drink or smoking as much as maybe I smoke cigars only. But, you know, I'm policing myself there. When it comes to football players, if there's medical advice, there's an easy way for it to be translated to action. And they're trying to get to the point where the doctors aren't just checking boxes to say when a player can play football again, but treating them as patients and giving them real medical advice on whether or not it's in their best interest to return to a situation where they may suffer another head injury. Yeah, and that's really, really, really important. I think what Rodney Harrison said there was great. I I really do. And I don't want to watch a sport where players are endangering themselves unnecessarily. And I mean, I guess you could say that about the entire sport of football. But when you suffer a head injury, it's serious. It is a serious trauma that is going on inside our brains. And our, our brains are everything to us we can't communicate can't live if our brains aren't right so i i really applaud him for what he said there and i and i really hope that there are more players that really start to think about okay am i not feeling right and if i'm not feeling right then i need to report that because i don't want to say it's entirely incumbent on the players to say stuff because it's really not but like when you say you, you go to the doctor right you go to the doctor and you describe symptoms that you have. So if the doctor hears what the symptoms are, then that doctor can better diagnose you. So there was a a player for the Rams this week and one of their offensive linemen who self-reported that he was feeling foggy and then he was placed into the concussion protocol. That's one thing that I hope we continue to see because players really need to be aware of how they feel and they need to express that to the appropriate entities so that they're not being put on the field at risk of suffering another concussion, which can be extremely serious. Second impact syndrome, a term that was trending on Thursday night after Tua Tonga-Vailoa's head struck the turf and he assumed the fencing posture and was taken off on a stretcher. Second impact syndrome can be fatal. It's when there's a second head injury before the first one has fully cleared. High school players will have a head injury, return to a game, and have a second one, and it happens every year where high school players die. That's what the NFL and every level of the sport should be trying to avoid. But you know, Miles, the other side of this is it's easy to say, and Rodney did it in a very passionate way, report your symptoms if you have them. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. When you're that guy who's playing football, who's trying to preserve roster spot, paycheck. What do they say? The greatest ability is availability. You got to be on the field. Tua was never going to say anything that would have potentially caused anyone to say you shouldn't play. He's going to say whatever he has to say to play. Only a small handful of players in the NFL have the luxury of tapping out and knowing they're not going to get Wally pipped. Everybody else has to worry about the next man up taking your job. Younger, cheaper, as good or better, you're gone. Ultimate meritocracy. And that's inherent to the sport. That's not changing. There's nothing they can do. You can't mandate to teams, hey, when this guy comes back from a concussion, he must be reinstated to his position as a starter. No matter how well the other guy played, you must put him back in the lineup. The Wally Pip rule would not work in the NFL. That's the problem. That's why guys will keep it to themselves. But, but when it's undeniable, when it's guy's head hits ground and then he's falling down when he gets up, that's where the doctors can mobilize and act like doctors and treat the players not like football players, but like patients. Again, I said this last night on Football Night in America. The union wants to get this to a point where it's not checklist, checklist, check this box, check this box, guy can play again. No. This is a patient that we are caring for. Is it in his best interest as a human being to go on the football field and play football? That's the question. And, Miles, because of that, gross motor instability, if you demonstrate that, you're done. You're done for the day. No exception, no loophole. And, you know, it's funny. And and sometimes you just need to take a step back and look at a situation. And I had this epiphany yesterday talking to some people connected to the situation Last Sunday, Tua hits his head, stumbling, wobbling, 
Surely he's done for the day. He comes back and plays. Why is he playing? Well, they determined it was his back, not his head. And I, along with everyone else, was like, well, okay, I guess if it's his back, I mean, I guess. Well, if even if it was his back, what's he doing in the game? He had a back injury that gave him gross motor instability. That's the union's reaction to this. What the hell is he doing in the game with a back injury that causes him to wobble and be falling down to the point where a teammate has to hold him up? Whatever condition, whatever it is that causes you to do this, you're done for the day. Whether you like it or not, you're done. Whatever the injury, head or back, you are done. If this happens to you on a football field, you're not in a position to protect yourself. You're done. So that's why the NFL PA and the NFL have agreed that they haven't come out and said it, but the gross motor instability rule is going to be changed. So there's no exception. There's no loophole. If you show that, you are not returning to play. And that's the obvious no-brainer. But see, that's what makes me, you know, kind of shakes your faith in the whole protocol. When there's something that obvious that gets missed, what the hell else is wrong with this system that we don't know about, Miles? I guess that's true, Mike. I, I The whole week, I just kept thinking the, the first rule of being a doctor in the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. That's just what I kept thinking throughout the entire week. And it, it's like, how is it that somebody can show that, go back into the locker room, get examined, and by not one, but multiple doctors, and they say, okay, back, and then he gets placed on the field. And I don't know. I mean, it's my, my thought process is, well, if those doctors are examining him, aren't the first rules do no harm. So how could they send him back on the field if they really believe that he should not be back on the field? And you go through the rest of the week and things continue to come out. And it's like, how in the world did this catastrophic failure happen? It just, it, it feels like to me, that's what this was, a, a catastrophic failure. And it could have been so much worse for Tua Tungavailoa. And frankly, we don't know how real, much worse it can be because it's a brain injury and he suffered a concussion in Cincinnati. And I just, I, I yeah, I, I go through that whole week and I'm just, I'm still really astonished because like I said, the first rule is do no harm. The NFL is fortunate. It got its worst case scenario lesson without having the worst case scenario unfold. And the NFL, as I explained in Playmakers, and I've been saying for years, notoriously reactive, not proactive. There will be issues hiding in plain sight that they don't do anything about until it blows up in their face. And then they say, oh, maybe we should do something about that. This yeah. gave them a way to fix a problem before something serious happens to one of the players. Now, it did become a major controversy, and it still is. But it looks like they are going to make the fix. And credit to the NFLPA. Firing, as they have the right to do, the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who was involved in this case last Sunday, reportedly, and this is something that NFL media added to the story on Saturday night, because the UNC didn't understand his role, which makes me wonder what kind of interaction was happening between the UNC and the team doctor in making the decision yeah. to let Tua play. And when they interviewed the UNC, he was hostile. That's not the way to play this game, doctor. Thanks, no. doctor. Thanks for nothing, doctor. We'll let you go tend to your other patients now. God help them. We don't want you tending to our players any longer. And one thing I'm very fascinated about, Miles, and I can't get to the bottom of this, it's required by the protocol, obviously, that the team physician in the UNC look at the film from the game, look at the video, which we all saw. You look at that as part of your decision-making process. I still have yet to have anyone tell me conclusively that they looked at the video. Wouldn't that mm. be something if they didn't look at the video? If that's the yeah. end result of this, that they failed to look at the video again? I'm not saying they didn't, but I've yet to have anyone to tell me conclusively that they did. Holy crap. If that right. happened, that, well, one, that they, the two most important people didn't see what the rest of us saw that made us say, there's no way he's coming back today. The, the other reported detail in that that just astonishes me is the several mistakes that were made by the UNC. And I just, again, the, the first rule of being a doctor is do no harm. How can you possibly make several mistakes in that scenario? I, I just, I don't understand. You're talking about somebody's brain. 
It's somebody's brain. How can you make several mistakes? I mean, this absolutely should end in a lawsuit, in my opinion. You cannot do that as a doctor, as a medical professional. That's shameful. It's absolutely shameful when you're trying to protect somebody in their life. That's their livelihood. It's their life. I I just, yeah. He's now out of the picture, and the good news is the NFL and the NFLPA are working on it. I'm sure there'll be developments as the week unfolds, and we will be all over them here and at PFT. We need to take a break. Sunday statement draft for week four when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. You, man. Are you, I always talk about double teaming you, whether it's red zone, third down, just double teaming you, jamming you, being physical off the line. Nobody does that. Are you surprised even on the first touchdown, you're not double cover. You're the best player on the planet. I appreciate that, man. But I honestly, I, I got the mentality you can't double me. I have the mentality no matter if you put two guys on me, I'm still going to find a way. And there's been proof that I have been able to do that. And I'm going to just continue to be accountable for my guys, man, especially one five back there, baby. When he plays like this, man, we're lights out. It's fun to fu- it's fun to go out there and play. <laughs> Almost an F bomb there from Travis Kelsey. Peacock SNFF post game Sunday Night Football final post game show uh, available on Peacock on demand until 7 p.m. Eastern. Week four Sunday statement time. We need to go into overdrive here because we have been talking too much as usual. Miles, you have the first pick. Well, I am glad that we showed that clip of Travis Kelsey because I want to stay with my guy from the fellow Cleveland suburbs there, right? I mean, my fellow guy from the Cleveland suburbs, I guess I should say. But the Chiefs came out. They had a statement, right? They played with such urgency, and that's something that they needed to do after that terrible loss against the Colts last week. I loved the way they came out and they played. If they have that kind of fire, as Travis Kelsey said, they are extremely tough to beat when they play like that. I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs, the Raiders running back, who had the vibe of a guy that they didn't want. Remember, extensive playing time in the Hall of Fame game. We're like, what's what's Mm -hmm. going on here? The starting running back. And before that, they didn't pick up his fifth year option. And I, you know, when you're around a place where a game's going to be played for a couple of days, you hear some things. It's like they kind of really aren't in love with Josh Jacobs. Well, maybe they are now. 144 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the first win of the season for the Raiders and the first win for Josh McDaniels since he was fired by the Broncos. Josh Jacobs, my first pick. Good thing I have more on my list because Josh Jacobs was going to be my number two, but instead I will go uh, to Houston where Los Angeles defeated the Texans. They're able to hold on. And it was one of those games where the Chargers have lost it in the past. You know, we all talk about chargering or charging, whatever we want to call it, but they got the drive that they needed when they really needed it in the fourth quarter. I wasn't all that impressed by what the Chargers put out there yesterday, but the fact that they were able to hold on and secure that victory with a really good drive in the fourth quarter, I think that speaks volumes. I'm going to go with the entire Seahawks offense. I have Bounced around between Rashad Penny, who had 151 yards rushing and two touchdowns. DK Metcalf, when he wasn't taking a cart ride, had 149 receiving yards. Geno Smith had a big day, 48 points. Now, a lot of it had to do with the fact that the Lions' defense stinks, but I think there have been months when the Seahawks didn't score 48 points combined in all games. 48-point explosion. Seahawks get to 2-2. and Suddenly a different vibe around that team. We'll take a break. Round three of the Sunday Statement Draft when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Sunday Statement, week four, round three. Miles Simmons, you're up. Let's go with the Falcons. The Falcons beat the Browns at their own game on Sunday. They ran them into submission. There was a a drive where they ran 10 plays. All 10 of them were runs. And Caleb Hartley, who came off of the practice squad, was huge for the Falcons on that drive. He ran it eight times for 54 yards, got it into the end zone for a touchdown. The Falcons are now two and two. And who knows? Maybe they'll actually be a factor in the NFC. Justin Jefferson, my MVP non-quarterback hopeful who disappeared weeks two and three because they double-covered him everywhere he went. Yesterday, the Saints opted to put Mike Evans' best friend, Marshawn Lattimore, on Justin Jefferson more often than not. 
Jefferson had 10 catches for 147 yards and a rushing touchdown. He reestablished himself as one of the very best receivers in the NFL. And we'll see if the Vikings can find a way to get the ball to him even when he's double covered. That's going to be the next step in the evolution of this Kevin O'Connell offense as the Vikings are somehow, somehow, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but they are somehow three and one. All right, time for our Monday Night Football preview as we're on our way out the door, Miles. The Rams at two and one, the 49ers at one and two. At Levi's Stadium, the 49ers typically play the Rams well in the regular season. You think the 49ers can pull it off tonight? Yes. Uh, the Rams have not beaten the 49ers at Levi's Stadium since 2018, which is the last year that I was covering the Rams for the Rams. I won't be there tonight, so the Rams aren't winning. Jimmy Garoppolo and the lip reading that we saw from last week, all your plays suck, man, is what people think he said. And when he was asked about it over the weekend, he said he can't read lips. They're his own okay. lips. Jimmy Garoppolo can't read his own lips. Read my lips. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. <laughs>